This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Wrestling. Shake Them Ropes, the last episode of 2020. Going to give you a little bit of a lighter, lighter type show. Want to thank you all for listening in this very, very weird year of uh, 2020. Uh, Sports don't know, you know. I think I think we'll probably go through 2021. I know Chris, Chris has been here eight months longer than he's supposed to be. Hi, Chris Novembrino here. Uh, I'm Jeff Hawkins. Hi. <laughs> yeah, Chris Overbrito is here. Uh, you know, I'm I'm cranking out the holiday tunes, and yeah, I'm still here. Uh, the COVID era is certainly an interesting era of wrestling, and I guess that's what's keeping me here. We'll talk a little bit more about that uh, in our year of review in just a bit. Uh, but yeah, Jeff and I want to wish all of you happy holidays, uh, good tidings in the new year, and all of that, and please stay safe. Speaking of the our COVID present, all right, so I have a work Zoom account, and my parents really wanted to do kind of a Zoom Christmas type thing, and my brother agreed to it, so I make all the plans, and I go, okay, 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern for my brother, 10 a.m. for my parents, we'll, we'll, we'll get together on Zoom. Okay, great. And then my brother goes, okay, because my parents are Luddites. Here's how you uh, ha- here's how you set up the Zoom. Here, blah 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 blah. I'm like, Chris, I think they know how to do this because my dad uses it for other things. So, 9 a.m. comes. My parents are there, and I'm there, and we're talking and you know wishing each other well and opening presents and stuff like that. My brother, where it's noon, is not there. Okay, so we wait a half hour, we text him, and everything, still not there. Okay, fine. So we all, you have to also understand, keep in mind, his Christmas tradition is to keep us all waiting while he wraps gifts in the morning, and we get angrier and angrier at him. So this is kind of par for the course anyways. So almost two hours later, 11 a.m. my time, (laughs) <laughs> okay, I'm ready. <laughs> we finally get on there, and it's just like, uh, it's 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 like the last six Christmases at my house. Just, you know, a lot longer, whatever. I, wa- I almost watched all of the new Wonder Woman movie, which is terrible, uh, <laughs> while waiting for my brother to, to grace us with his presence on our Zoom Christmas call. Good Lord. Uh, I, <laughs> I I didn't have a Zoom Christmas. I, I did go over and uh, I visited my parents. Uh, I, 
my parents invited over some family friends, and uh, I brought over my equipment to entertain them. They have, like, young kids who have just been, you know, like, sitting at home for several months here. Mm-hmm. And I brought over my little looper pedal that I was showing you before the show here and my guitar and my bass with uh, the drum machine on it. And I had actually sat and spent some time over the last week here preparing like five or six Christmas Carol things. Like with a looper, you could stretch it out. And I knew that like, I mean, we're talking about playing for like 30 minutes, right? You know, you're entertaining your family. They don't want to, they don't want to sit and watch a 35 minute jazz exploration. They want to, you know, hear some carols and go, Oh, Chris plays guitar still, blah, blah, blah. Move on. Um, I had gotten everything set up and, uh, you know, it just takes about, you know, 20, 25 minutes, not 25, 20 minutes. Um, I got everything set up. I, like, had the amp on. I had just gotten the loop done for uh, Jingle Bells. And I was just laying down stuff. The kids show up. And my dad immediately comes up to me and goes, Hey, turn it all off so that they can watch Frozen on the TV. Uh, (laughs) So, (laughs) and I had to grin and bear it through the rest of Christmas. Uh, um, Like, I was like, Dad, I wanted to be like, Dad, you know... If that was your plan, tell me that a week in advance so I don't spend all this time getting ready for this. Oh, uh, oh no. Children run the house at Christmas. It doesn't matter what what your plans are. Oh, the worst part is they set up friggin' Frozen, and those kids watched it for all of 10 minutes. Um, but they wouldn't <laughs> stop jumping. And, and I was told, oh, don't worry. Don't worry. We'll, we'll keep them away from your equipment. Of course, I come back in. I have, like, you know... About a thousand dollars worth of pedals, um, and they're jumping around, and I put these in the corner to be as far away from the children as possible. So literally, all my father and their father had to do was supervise this. No, so I had to come in from the outside and just pack up everything because, like, we're you know half away from them going. What does this button do? Oh, that's got a shiny light. I'm just. Not the kids. They're supposed to do that. Chris, did you bring all your equipment? I hate fun. We covered this last week. (laughs) And when I prepare a number of Christmas carols for children, they need to shut up and they need to listen to it. I I just love that you brought all your pedals for your grand... Because my, my, my dad, I, Jeff, again, my father was like, I want to hear you play all the, I wanna, he, he always complains, we never get to hear you play guitar, we never get to hear, it's been so long since you've had a show. <laughs> so I thought that this would be a really cool thing to do for Christmas. <laughs> you know and what? guess Almost what, it was not a really cool thing. <laughs> and I won't be doing it again. <sighs> Chris and his familial issues. I, I didn't realize. I didn't realize we we're gonna go down this rabbit hole. I, I uh, okay. Yes, children are gonna see lights and go. What does this do? This is what kids do. Chris. Well, you're right. No, and and parents should supervise their children. <laughs> it's a crazy thought. How, no, how I, dare Hawkins, they get near my no, Hawkins, What I realized is that, like, I, I, you know, I'm not crazy about kids uh, on a, on having them level, anyways. Uh, I like teaching them, and uh, outside of that, I, I was once again confirmed that I have no interest whatsoever in having children. <laughs> like, that's cool. <laughs> that's for somebody else. Well, let's get a little wrestling talk then. Uh, two passings this week: Danny Hodge. Passing away, I believe, yesterday or early today. I can't remember which. We're taping this on the 26th. 
uh, Olympic silver medalist at 1956. Uh, <laughs> my favorite thing on his resume, former NWA like United States tag champ was Skandar Akbar, which that to me sounds like a team. Danny Hodge and Skandar Akbar. But, uh, you know, one of those got legendary names in wrestling, both amateur and professional. I wonder what the um, setup was for the pairing of Hodge and Akbar. <laughs> I, w- I want to see that TV. I do. I kind of do. You know, may- maybe it's like, uh, you know, a uh, foreign entity trying to, uh, trying to, uh, uh, what would be the right word for this, but basically bring over an all-American boy to the dark side type thing. Oh, I was almost going the other way, like Hodge importing an international talent. Oh, okay, that could be it too. Yeah, oh, this, yeah. Hodge oh, discovered oh, this guy overseas. Yeah, in Texas, <laughs> where Skandar was from, because he didn't even come close to having a foreign accent, which killed me every time. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know a lot about Danny Hodge. I just, I just know that... Uh, you know, much like Lou Thez, it's one of those guys that you always have to give appreciation to just because he was a legit badass before he decided to do this carny stuff. What and, was his, like, signature move? Oh, I, I really don't know offhand, but I can try and find it. I was just uh, wondering if we have, like, a thing like the O'Connor roll or, you know, the Thez press that survives Hodge. I don't know. I don't know if he had one, per se, offhand, but I am not... I'm not the historian that other people are. Uh, let me take a look at his Wikipedia, because that might actually say something. It says championships and accomplishments, but it doesn't have any real moves here. Uh, no flying crossbody. I mean, he wouldn't have been like the innovator of the flying crossbody, but... Uh, I just think he was one of those legit tough guys that just, uh, you know, he, you know, you knew that he had... That, you know, if some geek from the audience decided he could take him down, he could, like, stretch him in, like, 30 seconds. He was that kind of guy. But uh, I can't think of any offhand. I probably should have done a little bit more research on it. But uh, uh, so I'm going to just uh, <laughs> continue on because silver. Look, silver medalist is is impressive enough for me. <laughs> I, I would have never fought I, in and, and to your point, we, we've now had Olympic gold medalists like Kurt Angle and uh, Chad Gable, obviously, from the Olympic team. And, uh, you know, so there you go. The legacy lives on. Also I was trying to save up. it for you, Hawkins. I, you didn't no, give me much. No, you didn't give me much fine. to work with. That's fine. You just asked me a question I wasn't expecting, so it was one of those things. Uh, Kevin Green also passing away at the age of sixty-eight. One of the one of the best pass rushers ever. Uh, I might have, I might have botched his age there, but uh, he was a guy that before he went back for those last couple years at the NFL, that you could have seen go- going into wrestling and actually doing something decent in it. I mean, he had he had a lot more athletic prowess than uh, Steve McMichael, even though McMichael had more of a more of a, a reputation, so to speak. But uh, like that first match where he teamed with a green teamed with uh, Flair and Piper w- wasn't that bad. I mean, he had he had actual skills there, but I, I remember mostly from football because, you know, he was a it's he was an outside linebacker who usually rushed the passer on the outside. So he had a number in the nineties, even though it probably should have been in the fifties, but NFL hall of famer, uh, played for something like 15 years in the NFL, which is amazing on a lot of parts. I hated him as a Pittsburgh Steeler for a number of years, but, uh, 
Yeah, just kind of a untimely passing for him. Yeah, what did he pass of? Uh, not yet announced, which makes it, uh, yeah, which makes one wonder. I th- oh, it couldn't have been 68. It had to be 58. Yeah, because 68 would have mean he was playing in his 50s in the NFL. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> I, it's not a league where you usually, you know, age, especially on the Tom front line. Tom Brady will be there in his 50s, but nobody else. Yeah, but he's not taking stuff on the front line. He's, he's getting yeah. protected in the pocket, and yeah. handsomely, I might add. Uh, in legalese, something I found interesting, Oliver Luck and his legal team filed a motion with the court to force Vince McMahon to put almost $24 million in escrow in anticipation that he'll prevail in his claim of wrongful termination. Uh, yeah, this is one of those things where, hey, I declared bankruptcy, so I don't have any money to pay you. And now they're trying to they're, now they're trying to say, no, look at his personal wealth. We want him to put this much money in an account. Uh, this one's going to go for a while, and I don't think the XFL is coming back. That's a damn shame. Uh, you know, there was a, a real promotion that I think we were looking forward to. A lot of hope in this reboot of the XFL that this time would be different. Well, going into our superlatives, who was your favorite XFL team, Chris? Well, they say, Jeff, that <laughs> what, defense... What was your favorite theme? <laughs> they say defense wins championships. And I'm pretty sure at least one of the teams was named the Defenders. <laughs> I was a fan of Washington. I thought they were uh, they were wacky. Uh, <laughs> I will well, I will somewhat miss the XFL to be honest with you. I thought their kickoffs were uh, somewhat ingenious in terms of not getting hit and doing wedges and other things like that. As a as a guy who took way too many blows to the head. <laughs> during football and also a guy who led with his head far too often uh yeah but uh i i, I will be very interested to see if old oliver luck and his legal team beat vince mcmahon in court because that'll just drive vince crazy we'll have an oliver luck commissioner of some sort on tv for ratings just so vince can bash him week after week you know that, that would at least make it somewhat uh somewhat interesting for wrestling purposes I don't know. I, I Usually when Vince is trying to play out his weird personal beefs, see retribution, uh, it gets it gets in the way of him m- making good wrestling. Uh, this is not unlike kind of your complaint about like political comedy where uh, the comedy gets lost in, uh, the, in settling the political scores. Yeah, it's a little bit more dogmatic than funny. Yeah, is, right, uh, and this is this has definitely been the case whenever Vince has been trying to hammer out his personal beefs against whatever problem in the world he sees at the time. SmackDown did four million for the first hour yesterday. Three point three point, or for the official ratings, three point three three five million point nine five in the eighteen to forty nine demo, thanks to an NFL game playing on Christmas e Christmas night, Christmas evening, whatever you want to call it. Very good number for SmackDown, I thought. Uh, yeah, but it's all because of lead-in stuff. Yeah, um, I know, yeah, but yeah, still. Yeah, and, and I think, I th- no, no, to your point, though, um, it is a good number. Yes, uh, the show was very watchable. You got a steel cage match with Roman Reigns and Kevin Owens to lead you right in. So it was like at least something to keep people watching the product through at minimum that first match just to see what was going on. Um that said, I think the real takeaway here for wrestling writ large and the Wednesday Night Wars, such as they still exist, is that lead-ins matter. And that AEW will be in 
okay shape for the foreseeable future so long as they have the NBA lead in. Um, and I would also, you know, kind of the, to the contrary, if AEW for whatever reason ever left TNT and had to, you know, go on a search for some other network and ended up like uh, TNA and Impact did for a while, just like on random television, they'd have problems keeping their audience because the lead in and the network branding is as important uh, for wrestling at this point as anything. Yeah, my cliff notes for this week were like the two Wednesday shows and the Friday show had really good wrestling, I thought. And the comedy across the board this week was better than usual, especially between BTE and that, uh, what is it, Hangman, the, the, the sad cowboy song that they did on there. I thought the Gargano Christmas thing was hilarious. It was actually very, very well done, especially Gargano on a piano and uh, indie wrestling. You know, you saw that joke coming a mile away, but it was still phenomenal. I thought. And then also uh, the Slammy Awards on social media, the reactions to those had some really good comedy in it between Billy Kay and uh, and Bailey being Bailey. You know, it, it, you know, the comedy this week was strong, I thought, which for someone who complains about too much comedy in wrestling, you know, I I, uh, I, I appreciate it. Uh, I appreciated it this week. Yeah, um, I thought, yeah, I thought the wrestling on TV was was fine this week. Uh, it was fine. My, yeah, yeah, it was fine. I, I also my rhythm got thrown off this week because I had a power outage here on Wednesday night, so I didn't really get a chance to watch all this stuff until today. Uh, so my like processing of everything I watched this week is different too. Um, but yeah, no, I, I I thought it was entertaining. I like you know you didn't include best commentator this year but i was reminded- we, can, we can do that we can do that we can make up categories on the fly if you sure want, okay so i'll finish that. my sentence then i was reminded of how much i enjoyed tony shivani's commentary and his return to commentary this year like for as uh disengaged and not entertaining jr can be at times and for like how grading jericho can be on commentary and like how excalibur oscillates from being a plus to being a minus at times like tony shivani is my favorite person to listen to in wrestling commentary bar none right now Uh, i just it's fun to see him having fun like yeah he breaks kayfabe sometimes but like 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 when he made the joke about asking probing questions of sting in his interview like that cracked me up that was funny like you know i i just really enjoy having tony back on the mic i agree i think he's the high point of AEW's broadcasts i i think he's having fun which is great i think he has a really nice self-deprecating sense of humor i would not call him the best i i still think I think Kevin Kelly doing the New Japan English stuff is is probably the best play-by-play, but Tony is my favorite, and we'll get into more into that as we get into our superlatives because we have a lot of bests versus favorites um, this year just because I made up a bunch of things and sent them to Chris and says, hey, pick something. But uh, this is going to be kind of a loosey-goosey show, uh, not as heavy on the TV reviews and stuff, but we did have a pay-per-view on Sunday. I was on Fightful After with a fun show with Sean Ross at TLC ice cold takes as we are wont to do. My only ice cold take was I thought the wrestling was fine up until the fiend Orton match. 
And then it got wacky. And you're just like, they burned a guy alive on, on a show. Okay, cool. But look, the, the latter, the TLC matches for the titles were both pretty damn good. I thought, I thought Carmella over delivered in her match with Sasha, who was also great on that match. I, I liked the hurt business tag team match. Uh, yeah. So yeah, uh, no, this title, was a really entertaining show. I, I thought. Yeah, title changes for this week just to just to be a bit of a completist. Uh, the Hurt Business won the Raw Tag Team Titles from the New Day, and then on Friday's show, Biggie beat uh, Sami Zayn for the Intercontinental Title. Okay, it still seems like they're treating Biggie very much as uh, do your comedy shtick occasionally, except for the uh, the Talking Smack gimmick, which I watched this morning, and him and Paulie have really great chemistry, and Paulie is so great on that show anyways. And Talking Smack, it, it's not what it once was, but it's still well worth your time to watch if you're just making breakfast on a Saturday morning and want to see some promos that are decent, some of which are better than others. But, okay, uh, so to, to rewind yeah. here a little bit, um, the Firefly Funhouse match, I know that the consensus sort of like conventional wisdom opinion is that it wasn't a very good match, but... Um, I don't historically think that Inferno matches are very good. I don't think that they are well presented generally. And uh, in comparison to other Inferno matches, I thought that this was one of the better ones that I have seen because of the usage of the Thunderdome. I thought the Fiend doing the like light up the entire arena with the fire thing and having those little spiral fire displays the that was cool like i don't like the fiend i think this fiend character sucks uh but and i don't really care for supernatural wrestling in the way wwe does it uh you know if you're gonna do a lucha underground really kind of full-on commit to the gimmick thing okay um but the actual presentation of this Inferno match was one of the better presentations of it. The work was fine. Um, My issue with like the fiend is I was watching one. I do like, I just don't care about Randy Orton matches. Like he he's fine. He's not right. Neither does he. I think so. No, I know. Right. Like like, (laughs) I can't, you can't ask me Jeff to care more about it than he does. It's not fair. It's not fair. Uh, So like, yeah, I, I mean, there's that issue, um, and then the Fiend character sucks, and I still remember when, like, the Fiend could kick on red light and was invincible. Like, what happened to that? Why doesn't, uh, why doesn't, uh, Alexa Bliss, uh, the childlike Alexa Bliss <laughs> come to the ring with a red light? That's creepy. I'm sorry. I, I can't... <laughs> uh, well, I want to say I, I, the childlike Alexa Bliss comes to the ring with a red light. I was like, oh, man, I wish I hadn't said that sentence <laughs> You don't have to turn on the red light. Yeah. Uh, I think Alexa's great in the role. I just, I just think this is the wrong way to go. To this, this is the moment where you hope somebody else doesn't walk into the room and see you watching it. That, that's what those are. Uh, I have a weird premonition about what's gonna be next because with the fiend and Alexa Bliss going heavy into the Joker slash Alexa Bliss. Or not, uh, Harley, Harley Quinn. Quinn. <laughs> Harley Quinn. Thank you, Harley Quinn type of symbolism. I think the I think Bray comes back as a Two Face type character, and that this was the origin story of him. What do you think about that? Okay, so he's got like a half mask, and so we see his face, and like the other half of the face is a mask. 
Yeah, something like that. It's almost like a Mankind sort of thing. Yeah, or he's half Firefly Funhouse Bray and half scarred by the, by the, yeah, burned onto his flesh type thing. What do you think about that? I think that that's viable. Are you asking me, do I think it's good? (laughs) No, 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 because we know it's not going to. No, I would never ask you to. I would never ask you to comment on whether or not a story is going to be good, because because God knows we had that that ridiculous Seamus Keith Lee story on there, and, and that's just that's just just the most. It's so transparent. Like yes, the the, the problem with Seamus is that. I mean, this is kind of a problem across the board. Like, AEW has this issue, too, where they just, like, jump a few beats in the storyline. But the Sheamus one, you you see it coming from a mile away because he just sort of, like, quote-unquote turned babyface when he started being chummy with Drew McIntyre. He never, like, started being just generally a babyface. He's, he's your friend who's a jerk, who everybody else says he's a jerk, and then he's going to turn out to be a jerk. I, I don't I don't understand. <laughs> oh, this is this is a uh, slow storytelling. No, 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 it's not. <laughs> we we all know what's gonna happen. No, no, and it's giving Drew McIntyre stupid baby face syndrome of like, what? Ha- I vouched for you, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> dude, we were boys. What I happened? I said you were cool. I vouched for you, and then then you made me look bad, and from my other homie. And you ended up beating him up because he actually he, he kicked you in the head. He did actually literally say, I vouched for you, too. <laughs> oh. I know, oh, it's, it it's nerdy. Like, yeah, it Stop makes the hurting. Things. Stop with the hurting, please. Just, just give me something to bite into that's an intelligent storyline. Just once. That's all I want. Oh, Drew Gulak just gets <laughs> crushed by Angel Garza uh, this week. That was that was disappointing. <laughs> oh yeah, well, there's a lot of disappointment, but uh, let's uh, let's do our superlatives here. I have a list. I will probably go in random order. I think I'll try and go with the fan categories before we get into the other categories first. Or do you want to do fan categories second? You can do that. I, you know, let's do the fan categories. Why not? Why not? Uh, okay, I have I have a late addition that I may have added in there to your list, but I okay. may not have. We're going to start with one that's near and dear to your heart. Uh, best Slapjack. And, oh, man. Uh, and my selection is T-Bar. T-Bar is a better Slapjack <laughs> than Slapjack. What is... We, we discussed last... Okay, yes. T-Bar <laughs> had a nice week this week beating Ricochet, but like... Ricochet, it's like, who hasn't beaten this guy at this point? Um, guys, clearly on a losing streak. Who started that losing streak, though, Jeff? The best slapjack in all of pro wrestling, slapjack. Okay, so so your best slapjack for twenty twenty is slapjack. It's slapjack, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, no, no. Who better than slapjack? Uh, most mistreated wrestler regarding push. Oh man! So this is like when the Three Stooges try to go through the door, and all of them get stuck and wedged in the door frame. Um. I have it, I it's hard to pick just one so I want to rattle off some honorable mentions real quick. Alistair Black, you might you might remember him from pro wrestling. Uh he he was <laughs> once well liked, uh popular. You 
might even remember him from NXT, where he was once the champion. He now hides in a broom closet and hopes someone will fight him, occasionally. And they've forgotten that he's in that broom closet. Uh, then we also have Otis Dozovic, uh, who was a Money in the Bank briefcase holder and uh, lost it because of a swerve ski into a feud that never happened. Uh, you have Leon Ruff, uh, a, a prop champion for the North American Championship, but he was not really ever going to go anywhere. Um, so I got I narrowed it down to these two people. Your runner-up here is Shayna Baszler, who uh, I think... Ooh. Yeah, right. Yeah, she's sneaking one. She's no, that's a she- great. That's a great pick. That really yeah. is. Yeah, your runner-up here is Shayna Baszler. Your winner of this award, though, uh, this dubious distinction's got to be Keith Lee, who came up as champion. Yeah, he beat Randy Orton, but like he has been moved into prop status and is like out of any championship contention of any sort at this point. So um, Shayna Baszler at least was a champion during this year. Lee got the call up and got lost in the shuffle. And also uh, Vince clearly does not get this guy Um, as as he doesn't get Shayna Baszler, but he definitely doesn't get Keith Lee. You have some fantastic picks on there and you went a little higher profile than, than myself. Uh, I think Alistair Black, you're dead on. I think Shayna Baszler is a great one because he's just treated like a moron on screen every time. Keith Lee is another fantastic one. Uh, There are a lot of candidates in the COVID era just because of the way uh, Vince likes to book his wrestling. I tried not to include interrupted pushes in consideration. Well, you don't, I mean, but you'd have like the same match or combination 50 times you know, in a row, you'd have, you know, Cedric and Ricochet taking on the Hurt Business or Cedric and Ricochet taking on Garza and uh, Andrade. Yeah. You know, I, I, uh, I actually, it was weird because I went, I went younger and I went higher ceiling. And I said Umberto Carrillo because this guy was brought up to me mostly to be the Hispanic baby face that you could get behind and be marketable and stuff. And they killed him in like a week and a half. I, I you could, you could I, say the same with angel Garza too. Like, yes. like yeah, that's what I was saying. Like it's three. Like, if you really think about it. Yeah, no, it's, but I'm with you. Like I think angel and Andrade or I'm sorry, angel and Umberto are both well, like, Andrade. You could throw in there too. Yeah, no, for <laughs> sure. No, all three of these guys are like, Top tier talents, and especially if WWE wanted to start being like more marketable to a Latino demographic, having all three of these guys is like top of the promotion guys. It, all of them, like you know, you you don't want to comp them to Eddie Guerrero, but like their talent level is not like if they were given time in practice, like all of these guys could PTL out to be somewhere in a bracket. Not necessarily at Guerrero's level, but like those are all good wrestlers, dude. Like good wrestlers with good pedigrees. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, an interesting one: wrestler or act you turned most positively or most negatively on. I can Man. go first on this if you'd oh, go, like. You go first. Go first. Because I, I, I'm afraid you're going to steal my thunder on this because I think we have the same answer on this one. Uh, I could not believe this, but I have really turned negative on Chris Jericho. Of late, 
uh, mostly because of the commentary. And I loved the inner circle as, as a faction, but when they did that first, what the bubbly bunch video on AEW and just became comedy, it became almost unbearable. And then you combine that with his social media presence. I love Chris Jericho. Don't get me wrong. But for some reason in 2020, I did not like him, even though he started off the year great with that match in the Tokyo Dome. I thought that was fantastic. And and he had that great run on commentary the first time. Yes. But for some reason, I'm... It's one of those things where I am right now... This can change. This is not that I've, I've decided I hate Chris Jericho forever, but he's one of those guys where... I used to find him a welcome presence, and now I, I really less is more with him, and I and I just can't. I, I can't sometimes with him, but that's the guy, overall, I've turned most negatively on. I, so I, I, I did not have him, to, to relieve okay. you here a little bit, I did not have him as, as my guy, uh, because I've never, like, yes, in this later run, he's been entertaining and turned in good matches and like kind of cleverly designed matches to mask some of his flaws. But at the same time, the work, like I'm just not, I'm not, I wasn't as high on Chris Jericho. So we went from a guy who I was like, you know, slightly positive towards to like, now I I'm with you. I, I, I I don't think he could win me back. I, I find his presence on air to be indulgent and his off air presence to be grading as well. Um, like, like, and, and I could certainly put the off air antics into a box if the on air stuff was good, but the fact that the on air stuff is bad. And then he's also, in my opinion, a a bad actor. Uh, what am I referring to specifically here? Like Sturgis's entire posturing around his participation in the Sturgis event, which is like had a serious ripple effect in terms of COVID numbers in the central North of the country, North Dakota, South Dakota, a number of places that are really, really strapped right now. Like he was part of it. He tried to act, he tried to minimize it. He was not a good actor on a lot of different fronts throughout this year. I don't want a laundry list that um but i'm just not i like i was never as high on him who who was the honorable mention though also comes from the inner circle from me though is mjf a guy who was much higher on this year um yeah going i thought into about this him. year and I, I think that like he i this is a guy like what you were saying about jericho where can he correct the course absolutely for me like like he's way too young for me to be like oh no he it's doom and gloom this guy is this guy's toast he's been the kiss of jericho uh this is not carmelo anthony spending time with alan iverson and he will never be redeemed uh but like carmelo needs to get away from ai before it's too late um but my Winner of this award, another dubious award, is a guy who I started off the year finally coming around on and being like, I'm into this dude. And now I'm like, dude, oh, God, enough of this crap. And that is Adam Page. This emo crap is doing absolutely nothing for me. And I I went from finally, like, him finally clicking with me and the cowboy thing finally clicking with me here um, to... I just hate where he's at right now. So he, he kind of went, and this is a guy I think can swing back the other way. He just needs to get away. He needs to get away from the emo stuff and just play it a little more straight. Burn of the year, not necessarily the fiend kind. 
Lana getting abused by her employer for three months because her husband went to go work a crappy gimmick where he looks like a Euro trash in sync cover band reject dressed up like a disco ball last week. <laughs> it's a good one. I, I, I really couldn't think of a lot of great dressing downs other than Marco's stunt insults, which I, you know, I thought about. I couldn't really, but I did love. Tully Blanchard's dressing down of Sean Spears after that ridiculous spot with the uh, the boxers face on the underwear. Yeah, I, I, I you know, I just, I don't know. There, there's not a lot of good insults in wrestling this year, unfortunately, on the promo front. So I couldn't. No, really like think Bailey, Bill. If we're talking about like flames and stuff, like Bailey's always fun in terms of like burns and that sort of thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I mean like the kind of the worst burn I can think of is like. Sending Lana to do table spots for three months now. Yeah. Uh, I am Medellin, who, don't follow him if, you, if you're checking your Twitter from work, with, with his usual gimmick, best ass in wrestling. Just, Look, just, we don't need to explain these things. We can just give a name. Sure. Look, Tony Storm is turning the phrase thunder from down under into a triple or quadruple <laughs> entendre at this point. Oh, of course, Vince McMahon's the best ass in wrestling, but I'd also give shout outs to both Sasha Banks and Sonny Kiss. <laughs> um, no, like, like you know, you, you're not my speed, but like you got to give Kiss his credit or kiss her oh, credit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, now to, to the normal ones, the ones that I had listed out to you, I'll, I'll start from, uh, do we want to start from the top or start from the bottom and build? I, I, I'm never, ever certain of these things, but they're all, you know, they're all equally good categories. Yeah, give, yeah, me, give me, I, give me I, some I, guidance I, here. We can, go, we can start from most improved and work up to best wrestler. That's fine. Okay, cool. Uh, so you're most improved for 2020. Bailey. Uh, which seems weird because, like, obviously Bailey is a good wrestler. Duh, I get that. But she was not necessarily super great in this heel gimmick, and it's been a little herky-jerky for a while. I feel like as time has continued to elapse throughout the year, she has gotten more and more confident um, in being a heel. She is more kind of, like, focused as to what this character is. Um, like, what she's doing right now is, you know, it, it's... Subtle and it's it works for her and she looks comfortable in the part. Uh, yeah, so she's the one who I think is really deserving of most improved. I am so happy you said that because I came very close to putting Bailey because she went from good to great, and that's hard because you usually think of most improved as somebody who wasn't very good who becomes pretty good, and yeah, it's just one of those things with character work. She did that. I picked Britt Baker. Because I think Ooh, she's Baker a good has, one too. Yeah, she's a good one too. Also, has also really since turning heel, found her place, found her character. When she was, when Kylie Ray left uh, AEW, and she was going to be the face of the division, there was a lot of floundering going on, and a lot of that pressure was put on Britt Baker to carry the division, and she was having an issue as a babyface, in my opinion, doing that. And when they flipped her heel, she found a certain confidence, especially in in cutting down Tony Schiavone. And uh, fake and on friending that cru- Tony Schiavone too. Yeah, on on that on that cruise ship, that gimmick that might that might have been the best burn all year. Come to think of it, was was her dressing down Tony 
in the middle of the Jericho cruise, but she's been fantastic all year, I think, as a heel. So I gave it to Britt Baker. Uh, your most disappointing news for 2020. Now, COVID's an obvious one to me. Uh, yeah, the, the certain deaths like Shad Gaspard and yeah, being being cut down is also big. I I went with happy news that was disappointing to my personal wrestling fandom here. So I went with uh, Becky Lynch having to leave due to pregnancy. Cause she was about to, she was about to hit her really, I'm going to carry this brand type of run when she had to give up the title and went to be a mother. And I loved, I loved that going away, uh, promo of hers. I loved the interaction with her and Asuka, who's batshit crazy to be honest with you. But, but, uh, that for me was the most disappointing news. What about you? You know, you could toss in Kyrie Sane there as well. Um, Kyrie Sane, yeah, yeah, Kyrie. I think Kylie Ray having to leave as well. That's a that's another one that's pretty good too. But but for me, it is the major promotions Kayla not Ray. pausing during this COVID era um, mm-hmm. and being part of the full speed ahead into the storm culture that has made the U.S. response to COVID kind of a laughing stock among many of the United States' historical peer countries. And then, like, accusing them of running sloppy shops and, like, this finger-pointing crap going back and forth, which would have been fine if it had led to a race to be the best. Um, But instead, it's kind of... It's been, at best, a piecemeal... Like, insofar that have been stepped forward. Like, you know, WWE creates the Thunderdome or puts up the the plastic screening and maybe they start wearing masks. It's only after they deny and try to avoid wearing masks and then start having outbreaks. Um, AEW is decided to start running shows in front of fans as the COVID numbers are not going down, but actually increasing at an alarming rate. They are still moving full speed into this. And, like... I think it's, you know, I'm sorry to get on the soapbox here, but this, like, if no, you're asking me what's the most disappointing news, like, it's easy to lay this at the doorstep of state level and national politicians. I get that. Um, and some of them have been bad actors throughout that. Uh, but I'm deliberately not naming any of those names right here because there's another part of this, which is companies and organizations have a role to play in this and, and actually sort of setting up a normative culture. And, Wrestling this year has been a really bad actor into it. I'll give you one last example, just like to cherry pick one. I'm watching SmackDown today, getting ready for this show. I see Liv Morgan and Ruby Riot dangling all over each other like there ain't no COVID. It doesn't exist. Um, standing back, you know, doing the little side eye thing, staring at the uh, TV screen. Um, it, it's little stuff like that all the time where WWE and to a lesser extent, yes, on AEW, some of them appear in mass on WWE TV. Some of them appear on mass, but time and again, wrestling sort of sells normalcy when there ain't no normalcy to buy outside my front door. And it, it is frustrating and disappointing. No, you're, you're look, COVID's very important. And, and, I I have no problem with you getting on your soapbox there. Trust me. Uh, I, I agree. I, 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 I'm still very uncomfortable with them running shows with talent flying in and out with Jerry Lawler in it and Ric Flair in their seventies flying in and out occasionally to do spots. 
I, and what's going to be frustrating on the back end of this too, Jeff, is that these are people who are probably going to get access to the vaccines um, and the treatments, have had access to the better treatments than you and I have had access to all year, and will have access to these vaccines before all of us. And, you know, then to, you know, wheel this slightly into government, uh, you had people in government saying things like, oh, we need content. Oh, we're so starved for content. And so that's why these people will be moved to the front of the line and the whole thing's a farce. Your favorite segment of 2020. You know what I really enjoyed? Um, I I think I enjoyed it more on McAfee's show than on NXT television. But McAfee giving that promo, explaining the assembling of For the Brand. And connecting all the dots. And he's a guy you could, when we're talking about most improved, you could talk about McAfee, but like... (laughs) If you're starting from zero and going to like he's an upper mid card level talent um, already uh, at this point, like he's a guy who well, you you can go from zero to he main evented an (laughs) an, an NXT friggin event. So yeah, Yeah, no, I mean I I know you could make the argument he's he's the most improved. Um, but like part of it's just he he was just so great during this promo (laughs) and every line was telling this story. I he. I just loved this segment. I thought it was fantastic. I I would agree with you. Uh, it was not my selection, but it was fantastic. I picked the Bailey heel turn because I thought for that segment, despite it being an empty arena, I thought it was very, very well done. It gave Bailey a certain sense of viciousness. She was the one that needed to turn heel. Uh, I thought it was done way too soon. Don't get me wrong. I, I think they should have run this golden role models thing for another year before breaking them up. But the actual heel turn itself, probably my favorite segment of the year uh, with my, my all my honorable mentions would probably be th- there were a couple of Cody segments that I really that really brought me into the building because I think I think Cody Rhodes speaks to my kind of fandom in terms of building fights and things like that. But uh, yeah, for the most part, I picked up Bailey's heel turn for me. I'll honorable mention one beat in the Roman Reigns, Jay Uso program in specific, which I've been generally kind of cold on, uh, but the part where Jay finally flicks the switch on Roman Reigns and beats him up. I believe it's at the end of a SmackDown. He's screaming. I love you too. Uh, That was awesome. I was very much in the building for that, that particular spot. Yeah, no, uh, there's been some good moments this year. I, yeah, I've, yeah, but there, there are certain people. I think there are certain performers that we're, we're kind of drawn to. I, I agree with you. I liked that beat as well. Uh, your favorite promo. I think we're going to agree here, but I just want to give, let's give our honorable mentions first. My honorable mention right now is MVP. I th- I think he's been great. All year on promos. Yeah, no, he's uh, good. Uh, I think another honorable mention for me has to be Taz. I think mm-hmm. Taz is, uh, he's sneaky good on promos. He can be very, very engaging. And he's good on commentary. He's a really solid utility player for AEW, covering a lot of different positions uh, ably. And, uh, yeah, giving them some nice spread. Don Callis is not bad promo. Don uh, Callis is great. Yeah, I think yeah. I think Cody's been great in some spots giving uh you know because he has that he has a weird thing where it's like he starts a promo one way and then he flips the switch to here's the feud 
Here's the build. Here's what's going to bring him into the building that I really love. I think Tully Blanchard has had a couple of good promos in here. Uh, some of them on social media more than He's anything really else. He's really finding but... his stride, though. Like, the little the insert this week on AEW was really good. Um, like, yeah. like uh, yeah, Marco Stunt, if you insert yourself, I might have to flash back to 1980. It was like a funny lot. I was like, yes. <laughs> <Get> yeah, <him. laughs> and, and, that, and that's where, I mean, that's where they should use him a little bit more is just have just have him just be a jerk. Because that's what he is, or he used to be naturally. So, yeah, it's been great. But I think you and I agree. Our favorite promo this year was Pat McAfee. And it's not even close. It's it's like not close. Yeah. That guy is awesome. All he does is come in and say, people suck. Yeah, you suck. We do this for money. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I love this dude, man. He was such a breath of fresh air. Uh, and I wasn't expecting much, and then he just blows me away like this. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. no, My- it's it, it's it's so it, it's great. No, he's he's a really good promo. Uh, yeah, I I just I love him. He he's fun to hate. Uh, he, he's kind of fun to like. Uh, yeah, he's compelling. He's not, and and what's great about him too is. He's not trying to ham it up in front of the screen. I think what I like so much about McAfee is that his performance, unlike other people who have this issue of irony sort of creeping in and self-awareness and stuff creeping in, McAfee, I think because he's an outsider trying to step into the world, is almost more driven to try to make kayfabe and keep it real, like wearing the neck brace on his radio program. Uh, like there, are, at, while some talent is going the ironic, self-referential, self-aware sort of direction, McAfee is kind of kicking it old school while also doing very new school things too. Yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, okay, uh, your favorite event from 2020, Chris. This was a tough one. Um, The most recent AEW show was pretty good. Um, And WWE has actually had some sneaky good shows along the way here. But um, I think the best event of the year, and it was a down year, so I'll put it that way, that we have watched in our AEW and NXT WWE purview, for me was TakeOver 31. Um, I need to get up what's on takeover. <laughs> no, okay. I, well, while you vamp, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll go into mine. Uh, I, I would also include new Japan. I came very close to saying the Tokyo dome show, uh, was it, but it wasn't for me. I, yeah. It, WWE's had some sneaky, good events, or at least good things have been on these events. Like night one of WrestleMania was very close to being my, my choice here. I thought that was very good. No, let me give you this little sneaky card here, though. So you have Damian okay. Priest versus Johnny Gargano. You have Kushida versus Velveteen Dream. You have Santos Escobar versus Swerve Scott. You have Io Shirai versus Candice LeRae. And then you have Finn Balor versus Kyle O'Reilly. This was a sneaky good show that had pretty low expectations. Um, and, like, you look at this card, it was unremarkable. But it ended up being a really good show with no fat on it. Um, none of these matches really overstayed their welcome. Uh, the longest one's the main event that went just under 30 minutes. Everything else squeaks in at around 15 minutes. Yeah, no, it was that was a great card. Uh, yeah, wasn't my pick. My pick was actually uh, AEW Revolution. I, th- I thought that was top to bottom, probably the best card this year. I liked it a little bit more than some of the NXT 
cards, uh, just because I also like a little bit of blood and guts in my wrestling, and it gave me that. Uh, but yeah, I, I picked AEW Revolution, top to bottom. Uh, I'm uh, reviewing here. Okay, Moxie wins the title. Yeah, no, let Pack me. I'll, get, I'll, get, I'll, I'll give the rundown. Yeah, okay. Dark Order beats SoCal Uncensored. Hager beat Dustin Rhodes. Darby Allen beat Sammy Guevara. Omega and Page beat the Young Bucks. Nyla Rose beat Statlander. That was probably the only one that really wasn't uh, a good to great match. MJF defeated Cody. Pack defeated Orange Cassidy, and John Moxley defeated Chris Jericho for the title. I thought it was just a solid card. Yeah, yeah, no, I, 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 I can see the argument for that. Um, yeah, there, there, there's a lot. Of and stuff plus, it's like. favorite. We're not arguing best. It was just what was. No, your no, favorite? no. I, I'm, I'm like, I'm seeing the, I'm seeing the case. Uh, you know, kind of as I'm like reviewing the card here. You're right. Like minus Nyla Rose and Statlander, and the women's division in AEW continues to be a weak point for the brand. Um, and sort of the one point, the interestingly, because I don't expect WWE to lean into this at all. It's the one clear advantage that WWE has over AEW is that their women's WWE's women's division is like (laughs) it is like professional basketball versus watching a high school team play like an NBA team. I mean, on both the main roster and NXT and even NXT UK, they have a better women's division than AEW right now. Yeah, even if it was just NXT UK's women's division in a vacuum, I think it's better. I'll go that far. Uh, Your most underrated match of 2020. Most underrated match. The first Kyle O'Reilly-Pete Dunn match that happened on NXT TV. Um, That was a really good match. And because of... The way star ratings work, um, in a lot of cases, TV stuff doesn't get kind of considered with that level of gravitas. But, like, there's nothing about that first Pete Dunn-Kyle O'Reilly match this year that wasn't takeover-worthy. Um, and so, yeah, that that's my pick for this. I went a little recent. I went uh, with the Ilya Dragunov versus Walter match from NXT UK, mostly because... Not a lot of people watch NXT UK, and they should seek this match out. It was brutal. It was hard-hitting. It was Ilya's best match uh, that I've seen, um, personally. And Walter is just so, so great as being the big bad guy that you have to basically work and work and work to get down. The problem is right now, Walter is such a powerful champion, and I don't know if we have any... I don't know if we have any baby faces that that are at the level where they should be taking down Walter. Now, you can build up Tyler Bate to that level. You can build up Ilya to that level, I think. But uh, as as for a match, I, I think I think every I wish they had played this on Raw, to be honest with you, just to let people see it. But uh, yeah, that was my pick for the uh, most underrated match. No, I, I think that's fair. Um, it was uh, so then we move into favorite here. Um, and it would have been very easy for that match to sweep my all of my categories here for underrated favorite and best because like Walter and Ilya, which is my favorite match. Um, I I, I mean, dude, like you have a really compelling story from both sides, both the protagonist and the antagonist go through like emotional states. Walter goes through uncertainty and doubt and like kind of shock at how far Ilya Dragunov took him 
and how much it's going to take to defeat this guy. Ilya draws deep into multiple different, like, sort of emotional reserves and, like, I, I, I mean, it, and then, like, the work. So, like, you have the, the, I guess, for lack of a better term, the acting, which was good, um, and then the work was stiff as hell. Um, there was just a brutal match. Walter jumps off the top rope and delivers a top rope splash that is like awe inspiring. I could see it in my mind's eye right now. He's this huge man coming off the the top with this like form perfect body splash. Uh, that's good stuff. My honorable mention here was uh, Balor versus O'Reilly, which I thought was that's a nice, that's yeah, a nice sneaky, pick. Yeah, sneaky good match. Uh, my favorite match this year was. From Worlds Collide, the Imperium versus the Undisputed Era. Four on four. Uh, marred somewhat by uh, Alexander Wolfe being knocked out very early in the match. But after that, um, this, this was a match I had been looking forward to for a long, long time. Just the baddest group on one block versus the baddest group on another. Uh, so even even with that, I thought... Both groups worked very, very well in this. Uh, yeah, the the early knockout was was unfortunate. Uh, I would have really liked to have seen what this match was without that. But for what it was, it was still fantastic. I love everybody in Imperium. I love everybody in the Undisputed Era. I think I I'm think glad Imperium you gave it is... consideration. I, 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 it was, it was, uh, it was on my list, but for the fact that they didn't really get to execute the match they were trying to execute. Um, yeah. but like I, the, the premise of the, you know, multi-man matches usually don't have my intrigue. Uh, th- this one definitely did. And I like this feud could go on longer and I'd be fine with it. Like, I am so happy that Fabian Eichner and, uh, I'm going to call him <laughs> Marcel Axel, Bartel, Marcel Bartel have, have gotten, have gotten this much exposure both now they were originally on NXT UK and then, and now onto the mainland show. And holding the tag titles over here because they are such a great tag team. Uh, yeah, I, I really... That was anticipated by me. It was probably my favorite match of the year. Uh, best match for you, Chris. I had to give it to Walter and Ilya. Um, I, you know, I was I was kicking around a number of different things. I didn't think anything on the main WWE roster was as good as Walter and Ilya. Um, and then... I was trying to stack up AEW matches, and was there anything on AEW that had me as like engaged as Walter and Ilya? And I couldn't come up with one. I like, like I when I'm like thinking back of like what was the match that I was watching this year that I was like just like in- engaged, goosebumps, felt like I was watching art. Um, for what we on a weekly level review here, um, the, it gave me sort of like peak level Tokyo Dome, New Japan stuff from the last decade vibes. It was uh, Walter and Ilya. So I uh, don't have to can't recap the match again, but that that's why I picked them. I went with the from Revolution. I went with the Omega Page versus Young Bucks for the tag titles. Uh, a great tag match. Uh can't be denied that these two teams worked phenomenally together. Uh, for favorite match, I almost, you know, I had a few like the 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 Kabuki Warriors versus the Golden Role Models was a pretty good little match. The Hell in the Cell was a pretty good match. Uh, you know, these were all favorites due to personal choices, but 
for the and and of course the uh was FTR versus the Young Bucks match from the last pay per view was quite good as well. But for best match overall that I saw this year, and and there were a few from the Tokyo Dome as well that that merited consideration. But I, I went with I went you know I I went with chalk here. I I agree. I think Kenny Omega and Adam Page had had probably the best tag team match this year against the Bucks, and it was my and since I like tag team wrestling a lot more than singles wrestling, I thought it was the best match this year. I mean it, it's. You know, a lot of uh, a lot of great set pieces that that went smoothly. A lot of false finishes. Pretty great story here between the Bucks and those those two. So yeah, that's what I went with. Yeah, and you know, I one last thought, I guess, on Walter and Ilya and like O'Reilly and Dunn and all these guys for a good chunk of the year here between WWE's match style these days, which is. I mean, they've always been kind of four or five moves of doom, but it, you really, it feels very dated watching AEW's match style. Um, it, it's hard for me to get into a lot of the main roster style of wrestling um, and a lot of main roster style of matches. I don't care at all for the cinematic matches. Um, they like do increasingly less for me as time goes on. Um, well, and, neither and then, of us picked the greatest match ever. So. No, I know we really we should have right. Um, the greatest wrestling match that was actually not a uh, that was not bad. It wasn't bad. That was it actually not bad. bad. Um, my knock on like the AEW style is, I get how someone could watch and enjoy the heck out of Omega Page and the Bucks. Um, but in a lot of cases, I think like. I don't think they're killing the business, brother. Um, they're killing my interest, brother. Um, in the sense that, like, I don't like all the false finishes and the big set pieces and, like, the run and then dive onto a pile of baby faces and heels that right. have all assembled in a bunch outside of the... Like, that style of wrestling, to me, is... It's cartoony in a different way from WWE, but I'd almost say to the same level of intensity at this point. Um, I get that, you know, we opened up the show talking about how people like Luthez and Danny Hodge pass and those moves get inherited. So I get how a DDT goes from being a finishing move in the 1980s to being uh, just a, you know, two count um, in, in 2020 in the same way that a cross body in the 1940s was a pin um, or like a body slam was a pin. And in the 1980s, it was just a thing that, you know, someone did. Uh, I, I got news for you. These things were pins as, as late as 1982, 1983. You could do a simple move and didn't need a finisher. Well, you know, the whole Ric Flair, uh, you know, the flop off the top thing that Ric Flair does, right? Like, that's always been an homage to the Harley Race pin combo that he pulled off, where he ran off the top and got the crossbody to Harley Race. Um, that's what that's been referencing. Uh, so, no, like, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. Like, I, I get it, uh, you know, but... Uh, <sighs> I do think that there needs to be a little bit more realism. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean color either. It doesn't necessarily mean blade jobs. Um, it it means, just needs to feel like a fight more yeah, than a Yeah, dude, dance. it needs to feel intense. I like, you know, yeah, I want to feel like a fight. And, like, Walter and Ilya gave that to me. Finn Balor. Kyle O'Reilly's been giving that to me on a regular basis. Pete Dunne gives that to me on a regular basis. Um, and it was a real breath of fresh air for me at the end of the year to see that there are still wrestlers who want to wrestle in that style because that style captures my engagement and my entertainment. Your favorite tag team of the year, Chris. 
Okay, so my favorite tag team of the year is a team that I do think has been done dirty by 2020. Um, they've been a real victim of 2020, and that is the Grizzled Young Veterans. Because that Zach Gibson, whenever he comes in, he always reminds me that he's a hell of a promo. Honorable mentions here, though, are Ever Rise, who I, I believe in the winning streak, and I, I see it. Even when others don't, I see it. Um, and also The Hunt. Uh, who I think had a good match recently here. I like the repackage with Eddie Dennis. And, like, look, they're fun guys. Like, they have good matches, and, like, we enjoy them. Um, So they're my favorites. My favorite are the Golden Role Models. I think they were great across all three brands in uh, in the heart of this year during COVID. I think just the visual picture of Sasha Banks, who looks stunning in whatever she's wearing, coming down being model hot and then Bailey being behind her trying to look cool, but looking like again, your aunt Pam, uh, they were funny all the time. They played off of each other all, all the time. Even, even when they were doing bad scripted stuff, they looked like they were having a blast doing it. They were deliciously evil for the majority of the year. They were I, very fun on commentary. Yes, I, I loved Bailey's underrated feud with Michael Cole. Always had me laughing. I, I just, I think these two were magic together. I wish I could get Golden Role Models versus Asuka and Charlotte for the tag team titles, quite frankly. But since I can't, I am, I'm going to say that they were my favorite tag team this year. Well, I'll make you happy and raise you. I actually had them as the best tag team. Nice. Yeah, nice. yeah, no, I, 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 there. I they, there, there are other teams. Yeah, obviously I mentioned the ones I liked, but I just thought Bailey and Sasha on balance, great tag team. The in-ring work was always there. Yes, the WWE scripting sucks. Yes, the story was inconsistently presented. Yes, when they did the split, they had arguably one of the worst segments of the year with that screen and screen by screen promo where they're like trying to act and like the timing yeah. was off. I mean, it was horrible. Like, it was really, really bad. They were pre tapes and they were trying to sync it and it just wasn't working. Oh man. It, they, they were awful. Um, so like, no, there've been a lot of bad beats, but, uh, Bailey, the repackage is given. It's taken Bailey from good to great this year. Sasha has, uh, to your point, looked like a million dollars. She's looking like a star. She's getting star roles on TV. Like, you know, she's, she's had herself a nice little 2020. Love Bailey berating Michael Cole and screaming at Cole to call this and call that. Make sure to highlight this spot. Make sure to highlight that. Did you see that, Michael Cole? Gotta love it. Gotta love it. Um, no, they're, they're great. Uh, they're a real hoot. My, my favorite little moment, and this is just stupid comedy to watch, is... When, when Bailey finally found that ding-dong hello signature line, there were a couple times where she went ding-dong and she opened the door as if she was earnestly seeing who was going to be there. Hello? <laughs> but yeah, no, these two were, were phenomenal together. Uh, for my best tag team, I, I went with the Bucks. And I finally, you know, I've, I've now, I've had, especially in this late run, this past two months with the FTR, the the T, the hybrid two match, uh, the acclaimed match this week. They do great tag matches with just about anybody. And you got to give props to that. I haven't liked them a lot in the past as much as other people, as much as Uncle Dave has liked them in the past. I've I oh, found their like matches them? to be. Is he a fan? Uh-uh. 
I've heard he likes the Young Bucks. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Um, but, yeah, I, I always found them more spotty than good. And while I still find them spotty, they've just had great matches with everybody. So I had to give them best tag team of the year for me. You didn't have biggest disappointment, but if you had biggest disappointment, uh, a team that you and I both like uh, would be on this list, and that's FTR. I think that they have been very disappointing in this run in AEW from what I think we were hoping for. We can do this on the fly. Go ahead. Yeah, versus what we've gotten. I think FTR has been very disappointing. Okay, I, I didn't like their presentation, especially the first couple months. I'll give you that. I think they finally found their groove once they got away from Arn and went to Tully. I think that's what really kicked it in here. I, I sort of agree with you. Uh, just off the cuff, for me, I think I think the New Day has been the most disappointing. Ooh, that's because split, they haven't... That's split. Ooh, that's a good one. You know, I'll get one more, one other one. Uh, the, the, these guys, if we had reflected on this a little bit more, might run away with it, is Miro. Yeah, if you were going to do an act... I'm a, like I was expecting uh, dude, him to come in and be a killer. This guy came in on a Russian tank and looked badass at a WrestleMania main event yeah. level star guy. Uh, and as I said, in sync Euro trash guy. Now, I I would have gone. I would have. Well, this is kind of getting into the positive or negative stuff. But I would have gone with MJF. I thought MJF was going to be much bigger by now than he was, and I think really the campaign shtick killed him. For me, oh in man, many that, ways. Campaign, I think that, oh, that just, campaign was bad. Yeah, I knew what he was trying to do, but him just being a jerk on the mic is all he needs to be, and he'd be huge. He's a jerk and on the instead, mic. He cheats during matches, and he uses Wardlow whenever odds like get too close to being even. Yeah, and and for me, I I just think more classic heel than funny heel. And I just, yeah, the the musical number didn't do a lot for me personally. I know a lot of people loved it. I should relax and just be entertained, but I want I want to hate my heels. I'm sorry, I do, and I just I hate them for being musical. That's not the reason I want to hate them. Uh, I have a weird so we prediction get... involving that little spot. I think a a storyline beat is that it's going to be revealed that MJF did not sing his part, like that's <laughs> going to be involved in canon. <laughs> Like Road Dog came in, yeah, yeah, because like they they were already talking about how like oh he won best uh, entertainment, not Jericho, the singer of Fozzie, and I think like the reveal here when they you know start babying Jericho is that Jericho sang his part and MJF used like a spot singer. Okay, that would be something. I I, he's I don't that, that doesn't that does singer. not redeem that angle in the slightest. That's no, a retcon. No, it doesn't. Uh, your favorite wrestler or act of the year. Favorite wrestler or act of the year is Kyle O'Reilly. I think that Kyle O'Reilly is a really, really good babyface. And I like his match style. I root for this guy. I want him to win the championship. Uh, he He's just, he's a fun wrestler turning in good matches on the regular basis for me. Like when I hear this Kyle O'Reilly match, I want to tune in. And I can't think of a wrestler right now that I want to do that with more. I cheated here. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I made it. I gave a three-way tie. The Fiend and us. Bray Wyatt? No. no. <laughs> I Because w- uh, I, I was trying to find a way to get Asuka in here because I haven't given her enough props this year for being you know, 
great she is despite everything, but I, I went with Asuka, Bailey, and Sasha, all three together. Because without it, I would have just not had any interest in the main roster at all. I like Drew McIntyre, but I think I think they've really he struck hasn't out had a on chance his character. To really shine, and yeah, the character's not quite there. The the promo, the first promos when he was made champion, where he's kind of being a little bit too much of a smart aleck, I think was a big miss. Um, Asuka being crazy, it's it's lost its luster. Towards the end of the year, don't get me wrong. It depends on the week, the right? Year. Some weeks it's yeah. really fun, and some weeks it's like, holy shit, I hate this. Yeah, and of course, Bailey and Sasha, I've, I've already mentioned, really carried three three different shows for a while. So I gave it to them. Uh, my best wrestler act of the year, I, I gave that to Kyle O'Reilly. Oh, I Kyle, interesting. Kyle's been, I've given, I, I think he's been spectacular this year. I think every match he's been in has been hard-hitting and vicious. He does comedy uh, selling really well as well. He does uh, He does many spots. different forms of selling very well. He does heel selling yes. well. He does comedy selling well. He does babyface underdog selling well. And there are three different styles of sell. Yeah, and I think I think these done matches have really, really put him over the top uh, in terms of you know, we, for a guy who has to be on there every week, now, look, it's easy to give guys from New Japan these spots because they only do the big shows and they do, you know, <laughs> the G1 or the New Japan Tag League and whatnot. You know, I almost put Toru Yano here because he is the king of pro wrestling, as you know, Chris. That's yeah, true. But for, but for me, Kyle O'Reilly has just had a sublime year. It's been fantastic watching him. I think he's going to probably be the breakout star of NXT in 2021 if he's not already. Uh, so that's who I gave my best wrestler act of the year to. Who did you give it to? I gave it to Io Shirai, who I think has wow. been sneakily carrying the women's division in NXT all year. She is, of course, my one of my favorite spots from War Games with the... Uh, <laughs> with the, with the smiling and putting the trash can over her head and then flying off the cage. Uh, what was your favorite Io Shirai match this year? I, you know, that's what's funny. Is it like, it, we as we go through each match, I didn't, I guess my favorite one of hers was Io, was her versus Candice LeRae from TakeOver 31. Um, but okay. she, ha she had other matches um, along the way. Like every match, she was in high-profile matches throughout the year. Uh, the Charlotte and... Uh, the Charlotte and uh, Rhea Ripley match. Uh, she had another match with Rhea Ripley. Like she, she had a number of good matches here this year. And whenever she was, Rhea could have gone under. Mo Rhea could have gone under most mistreated if we wanted to do that too. Yeah, biggest disappointment. Not, not, yeah, not biggest disappointment. No, 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 for sure. Uh, yeah, we're talking biggest disappointment. She might be right up there. Um, through no fault of her own. But yeah, I just thought EO had a really solid year this year. Um, to your point, do I like? If I'm really considering, like, to your point, Kyle O'Reilly's matches are just on balance better uh, than any of Yo's matches. But I, I just, I like the pick, Chris. I do. Yeah. I think Yo Shirai's been fantastic. Yeah, and no, I, yeah, I think she's been really good. I fear for Vince getting a hold of her because I think he's just going to stick her in a tag team with Asuka again. I worry that he just Warriors thinks of her too. as another gibberish character. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, but. uh it's going to do it for our takes for 2020. You can follow me at Crap Game 13. You can follow the show at Shake Them Ropes. For the next week, you can follow Chris at Chris Novembrino until that uh, account 
that's I it. Probably the, take over him. Yeah, it, no, I'm, I'm, yeah, you're gonna take it over. No, no, I'm I'm yeah. I'm getting rid of it entirely. Uh, and then you'll have to follow me over at at DWATG. Um, and you know, get get if you're interested in politics, that's where I will be. Um, I may make a guitar account at some point, but really at the core of it, Jeff, I hate managing anything more than one social media account. And I having Christopher Brino meant that at DWATG isn't getting managed. So uh, we're fixing that problem here, starting on one one twenty one. And once again, we thank you all for listening to us in this 2020. Look forward to providing you with some sort of entertainment in 2021. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right now, uh, we've got a few more days. So I've got a new New Year's song for all of you here. Happy New Year. All right, so check it out. Yeah, here we go. No, play, play. It, it, it's it's gonna. It, I'll have it for next week. <laughs>